I'm Tony Hines, and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast about everything for supply chain advantage. So let's begin. In the past couple of weeks, I've had some good conversations with CEOs and supply chain pros and people running our global supply chains around the world and gained some insights into how they're currently thinking about uh, supply chains and uh, their own businesses within that context. So today's show is all about CEOs and supply chain pros. Interesting talking to people about the supply chain as an ambassador of the brand. And one of the things that several people have mentioned to me during the pandemic is that the delivery service offered by their organization has become the front line with the customer. And how that delivery happens, is it seamless? Is it uh, friendly? Is it on time? Is the order complete? Has become perhaps the face of the organization with the customer. Now, we always knew that the supply chain and the last nine yards or the last mile is perhaps the most important part of any transaction taking place. And this has certainly been evident in recent times. I mentioned this to one major retailer in the United States, and he told me that it's definitely the case that the front line is the delivery. And that's what people remember about dealing with the company. All the rest of it, the great systems, great technology, the interaction at the front end when they're buying stuff, all very important. But what they really remember and what they get upset about is when a delivery goes wrong. And it's that last position when goods are taken to somebody's front door, if it's a consumer at home, or the delivery to the warehouse for a company. It's at that point that people really become focused on thinking about their relationship with the deliverer. For those in the C-suite that I've spoken to, one of the main topics of conversation has been about cybersecurity and the threats posed to supply chains and their organization and their efforts to produce effective marketing have seriously risen up their agenda. And they consider that that's probably going to be one of the most taxing things that they'll have to focus on in the next couple of years. And they're looking at ways they can mitigate risk by introducing layers of security within the system. And what we have to recognize about these systems is that although we talk about the total system in the supply chain, there are vulnerable parts of a system where software has been patched or meets up to another connection, or we run an app that's uh, effectively a backdoor for a cybersecurity threat if it's not patched properly. And those concerns and their ability to identify those cyber risks is one of the things that they've been talking about to me in quite a serious way. In my last podcast, I was keen to talk about the importance of digital transformations and the use of blockchain technologies to make those transactions secure. But of course, cyber attacks do happen, and when they do, they're very disruptive. This week, in the United States, a serious attack took place on the Colonial Oil Pipeline, which stretches across the southeastern states of the United 
uh, states of America and caused severe disruption. The pipeline runs for about 5,500 miles and it takes the fuel out of any road system. But this week, old school technology had to be employed and the restrictions on carrying fuel by road were lifted so that oil could be transported to replace the disruption caused by the cyber attack on the colonial oil system. When we refer to the C-suite, we're often talking about the people who are running the organization. These are the directors of a company who are essentially at the apex of any business. It's what many regard as the business brain. So when you talk to people who are in the C-suite, what are they actually responsible for? Well, they're responsible for the organizational effectiveness, the long-term relationship of the organization as a brand with its customers, the products and services, and making sure that they are delivering reliable service and value for money. They're also responsible for organizational efficiency, for the internal workings of the organization, looking after costs and efficiency, and of course, productivity. And the board itself has to formulate policies and do so in relation to the external environment in which it operates. Strategic thinking is a particular competence that that's needed. So if you think about those things and along with the interrelationships with stakeholders, they have a big responsibility to manage all kinds of things. It's not just the business, but it's the business relationships with stakeholders. So they have to get inside the minds of stakeholders. And one of the things, of course, that rose up the agenda during the pandemic was, of course, climate change and ideas surrounding sustainability. And if customers think that sustainability is important, then, of course, sustainability is important. And organizations have to think about how they can relate to, execute, determine policies, and essentially deal with communicating their plans to the general public and to customers about the responsibilities they have in relation to those things. Now, while I was talking to a number of people in the C-suite in different organizations, I happened to speak to a number of people who were engaged in the fashion industry. And often the fashion industry receives a particular bad press for polluting the sea with plastic particles from polyester production, clothes, plastic bags, the plastic that comes out of the, the fibers, out of clothing fibers, and lodges itself at the bottom of oceans, fills land waste, and isn't biodegradable. And yet polyester is one of those fibers which is seen as less harmful than natural fibers such as cotton. Cotton receives a particularly bad press because of the use of water in the growth of cotton. But this is in some ways a false representation of cotton as a wasteful resource. When you get an invitation to the C-suite, it's something you've worked for. And you may feel worthy and hope you'll now be rewarded for your business experience, organizational and leadership skills developed during your career. Those things may have qualified you and opened the door to the office of CEO, but your future success will rest on the results, not the attributes that others have acknowledged in appointing you. So what are the responsibilities that accompany the invitation into the C-suite strategy room? Peter Drucker said leadership is defined by results, not attributes, picking up on the point that the attributes might get you the invitation, but it's the results that will keep the job for you. So let's look a little more at the 
CEO and the responsibilities involved. The Chief Executive Officer heads up the C-Suite. The C-Suite is comprised of a board of directors responsible for running the company. The CEO leads and the directors direct. The board are paid to manage the business on behalf of shareholders and they balance the needs of other stakeholders including employees, customers, suppliers and wider public interests. The organization's culture determines how this works in practice. For example, is it top-down or collaborative? But make no mistake, the CEO has the ultimate responsibility for the company meeting its objectives and it's they and they alone in the firing line. Responsibilities come in the form of leading the organization and all that means there's no hiding place. Every decision will be scrutinized, analyzed and criticized. It goes with the territory. Warren Bennis said that leadership is the capacity to translate vision into reality and never a truer word. That's the CEO's raison d'etre. It's what they need to do. They need to translate everything that they think the organization ought to be in the future into strategies and operations that will get them there. The CEO is responsible for leading and developing and executing organization strategy and achieving the goals set. Organizational effectiveness, efficiency, profitability and return on investment are three concerns for those occupying the C-suite. Now let's return to supply chain pros and CEOs. Let's turn it around the other way. Between 70 and 90% of a company's assets are tied up in the supply chain. If you work in or are responsible for your organization's supply chain, it's likely to represent much of the balance sheet value. It will come in the form of fixed assets, which can include warehousing, production, handling equipment, plant and machinery, delivery vehicles, cranes, forklift trucks, ships, and in some cases, aircraft. Inventories on many company balance sheets represent somewhere between 30 and 50% of the value When you add it all up, you can see why the supply chain contains a lot of the value and it all needs to be managed carefully to achieve the company's strategic and operational objectives. And the person at the top is the CEO. So there is some need, in my opinion, for the CEO to understand the supply chain and for the supply chain professionals to understand the CEO's responsibilities. This synergy, if you like, is very important And it creates opportunities for those who are learning their skills within supply chains in their organization. They are people who are truly valuable to the organization. Supply chain pros come in all shapes, sizes. They come from different backgrounds. The people of different gender. It's not exclusively a male preserve. There are many young women and others who aspire to have careers within the organization supply chain. And it's very important that those opportunities are equal for everybody. Having the ability to communicate effectively in written and spoken word along with numeracy and analytical skills certainly establishes a good foundation for the future. Today, many of the roles carried out in the supply chain provide an excellent training ground to learn about business. Forget the MBA as a stepping stone to a leadership career. Learning on the job may be more valuable than you think especially if it's in the supply chain. If you know about sourcing, procurement, production operations, warehousing, distribution and customers, then you've acquired a range of transferable skills that might take you all the way to the C-suite and even to the CEO of the organization. 
You may think about acquiring formal qualifications on the job as part of your continuous professional development while you get paid. And so maybe a route if you want desperately to have a master's degree or it's something that your organisation values, then think of the alternative way to achieve that master's degree, not necessarily giving up your employment to do so because the employment experience is equally valuable. Supply chains are a source of value, cost and differentiation. When Michael Porter first wrote Competitive Advantage in 1985, I doubt he was thinking necessarily about supply chains, although he did introduce the term value chain at that particular time, and he certainly understand what made up the value of an organisation. And many of the things we're talking about here right now were included in Michael Porter's original conception of a value chain. The term supply chain was only coined in 1980 and didn't come into wider use until much later. It was Oliver and Weber in an Outlook magazine article that mentioned the term supply chain and it it caught on. Nevertheless, supply chains are the central focus for many businesses wanting to achieve competitive advantage. It's easy to see why, because it covers every stage from sourcing through to delivering the goods and services to customers. Supply chains are the central spine of most organizations and they are embedded in wider networks, creating value for supply chain partners and customers alike. I once read somewhere that if you wanted to move to senior roles as a supply chain professional, you needed to talk the language of finance. Return on investment, profit margins, asset utilisation were all mentioned. And it said you need to talk less so about fill rates, returns, backhauling, work in progress, fulfilment, stockouts, back orders, purchasing and sourcing. But the truth is, like most things in life, somewhere in between. Isn't it about time that the C-suite occupants were able to speak supply chain language? Understanding the organization's supply chain offers the capability to understand the business and potential sources of competitive advantage. Well, the good news is that Some obviously do understand the language of supply chains because they've spent some time there. Many people on the board of retail businesses have spent some time working in the supply chains of businesses where they cut their teeth. And they've developed some very useful skills that they've carried with them into the boardroom. And most people that have spent time within supply chains or inside operations where they've had to manage inventory and they've looked at flows and they've looked at costs know that a lot of cost is involved in those inventories and it needs to be carefully managed you can reduce and cut out a lot of inefficiency by focusing attention on how the inventories move through the organization digital acceleration is a key priority for retailers everywhere and the people I've spoken to have all said that they want to make additional investment in those areas in the coming months. They see digital acceleration as a means of serving customers better and through serving customers better increasing profitability and future earning strength and growth for the organization is dependent on such digital acceleration. One of the other key areas that people have mentioned during discussions in the past weeks is in relation to supply chain resilience which of course has risen up the agenda since uh, Joe Biden mentioned it as a key issue for organizations in the United States. He wants uh, more resilient supply chains right across the board and resilience in supply chains is of course important in so many ways. It's something that allows the delivery of product to customer and creates opportunities for innovation. (laughs) 
One of the other issues that nearly everybody has been mentioning and has been focused on since the pandemic started is ways in which they can cut cost without affecting service. And that's always a tricky one because as you cut cost, of course, you can cut cost so far and too near to the bone that you destroy the resilience within the supply chain by doing so. So it's a balancing act. And when you move into the C-suite, it's one of those balancing acts that you've got to get right. When it comes to CEOs with supply chain backgrounds, we can think of a number of people who have come through that route. And there are some well-known examples like Tim Cook, who was CEO of Apple. Uh, He had supply chain background before he took up that post. Alan George Laffley, who was Procter & Gamble CEO. He was a commissioned U.S. Navy supply officer. And there's Murray T. Barra, CEO of General Motors. All of these were mentioned by the uh, World Economic Forum and uh, an article written by Wolfgang Lemacher back in 2015. There's also Ocean Spray, which is one of my favourite morning drinks of cranberry juice. And that's a cooperative owned by around 700 cranberry growers in the United States, Canada and Chile. And Tom Hayes has taken over as uh, CEO of that particular company towards the middle part of 2020. And he's got a supply chain background too. In many ways, the supply chain is is almost a perfect funnel for harvesting new talent for the C-suite and in particular for being grounded and coming through the the struggles and trials and tribulations that supply chain professionals know only too well. It certainly gets you battle ready for a, for a future CEO role. So that's it for this edition of Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage. You'll have your own takeaways for this particular episode, but some things that spring to mind for me are that supply chains are basically seed grounds for new CEOs. It's uh, an opportunity to learn all about the business. If you get a role in supply chain and you can move through different roles, maybe in the same organization, learning about that supply chain, then I would grab it with both hands. uh, That you don't need to think about full-time education as an alternative to the experience gained in the organization, but it would be a great thing if you could combine both and learn about the supply chain in the organization, while at the same time, continuing your professional development and maybe part of that professional development is the acquisition of a formal qualification, a degree or a master's degree or a professional qualification in supply chain. So those are some of the things that spring to mind for me and I'll see you in the next episode of Chain Reaction. So bye for now. You've been listening to Chain Reaction, all about supply chain advantage, written and presented by Tony Hines. (laughs) 